Hello, and welcome to this FRDH, First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. It's been a while, but I think it's time for another Bible study for atheists. The story of Esau selling his birthright seems to be worth talking about, as many in the U.S. and U.K. and other nominally democratic countries seem to place no value at the moment on our birthright of democracy and rationalism. And they're joined. You can't have the former without the latter. The tale of the twin brothers Esau and Jacob is a long story and starts in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. Abraham has died, his son Isaac is married to Rebekah, and once again, barrenness has struck monotheism's first family. Isaac is 40, and there are no sons yet. He entreats the name I cannot say, and eventually Rebekah becomes pregnant with twins. Verse 22. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall the birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swears unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. When I first heard that story at Hebrew school, I was probably six or seven, and it had particular resonance. I identified with Esau for this reason. I'm the oldest of four children. The birthright the blessing of my father, his inheritance was mine by that wonderful accident of birth, being first. Yes, there were responsibilities that came as the oldest, but I would not sell my birthright so cheap, certainly not because I was hungry after a day's work. The story came to my mind again in October 1992. The BBC World Service sent me back to report about the state of America during that year's presidential contest between Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. The idea was to write an Alastair Cook-style letter from America about the election. I decided to go to Maine, 
not just for the pleasure of seeing the foliage at its most colorful, but to get a feel for what was happening in rural America, a place I hadn't visited in a long time, although the autumn getaway aspect did appeal. My wife and I flew to Boston and then drove northeast along Maine's beautiful coast, weeping its granite tears into the Atlantic, creating coves and islands and wild seascapes that attract the summer folk who sustain the otherwise harsh economy of lobster fishing, shipbuilding, and lumber. The latter two in particular were suffering in 1992 because the economy was still only just coming out of recession. Maine, already the poorest state in the Northeast, suffered disproportionately every time a recession arrived. We ended up in Blue Hill, Summerfolk Central. The next day, we took a 40-minute drive down to Stonington on Deer Isle. Stonington is a center of lobster fishing, and I wanted to talk to people about the economy, politics, how the recession would affect their vote. You know, be a reporter. We drove from the mainland over the Deer Isle Bridge, a suspension bridge whose roadway between the towers is arced like a cat's back when it's frightened. When you drive onto the bridge, you can't see over the arc to the other side. My timing was off, though. Stonington was a town where the workday began long before sunrise, and by the time we got there, most of the town's working people were either out at sea or had gone home from warehouses. We decided to come back for dinner to see if there might be more activity. The night came in fast, and with it, heavy rain. We went over the Deer Isle Bridge again, The oncoming headlights illuminated the rippling rain across the windshield, making it almost impossible to see where the second tower of the suspension bridge was located. It was like the common nightmare where you drive onto a bridge and suddenly it's not there and you're flying into the water and will drown. On the Deer Isle side, the road descends onto a causeway and the water was being blown up over it. It was a very nerve-wracking drive. We found a place to make a U-turn and headed back over the bridge to the mainland. We got a little lost on the way back to Blue Hill. I kept following signs to different towns, hoping to find a restaurant open. But the season was over, and most were closed. The rain eased up, and at a crossroad there was an open place. Memory tells me the clapboard was painted yellow. Whatever color it was, bright, and spoke of an owner who had gravitated to Maine in the late 60s or 70s, and was definitely of the counterculture. It was a three shifts a day kind of restaurant, with the menu changing from breakfast to lunch, then dinner. The foodie craze had yet to happen, so what was on offer was nothing exotic, and it didn't matter because we were famished and desperate for something to eat. I eavesdropped on the next booth over, where a couple of men in their seventies were talking about an acquaintance who died before his time because he had let a health problem go untreated, because his health insurance wasn't worth a damn, and his kids weren't in a financial position to help with the bills. The waitress chatted with us. Wasn't that busy. Without much prompting volunteered, she was being hammered by a decline in tip revenue and didn't know how to make ends meet. The only other diners were a single mother and her young son, who were in a booth nearby. The boy had the run of the place, and since it was empty, the waitress didn't seem to mind. He wandered over and joined us, just joined us. He was about six, not yet aware that really it's not polite to do that. 
His mother came over and apologized, and then began to tell us her sad story. It was long and convoluted. We invited her to sit down. She seemed to be from a blue-blood background, living near the poverty line, because her ex wouldn't cough up child support, and she couldn't afford a lawyer to chase him. There were tales of misery all around me. I felt like the wedding guest in the rhyme of the ancient mariner. The people wanted to tell their stories, and I had no choice but to listen. Or eavesdrop. I had left in America drunk on Reaganism, and these stories were tales of the hangover. My BBC piece described the scene, and in its conclusion, played with two phrases that were popular in the New York I had left behind in 1985. Whatever it takes, the gung-ho business mantra, and make it all go away, the wealthy Wall Street miscreant's instructions to his lawyers. Whatever it takes, make it all go away. That would be what was driving American politics. When Esau comes in ravenous from a day in the fields and says to his brother Jacob, give me some of that lentil soup you're cooking, and Jacob says, it's going to cost you, sell me your birthright, Esau thinks, whatever it takes to make the hunger go away. So he sells his birthright. After the attacks of September 11th, 20 years ago now, too many fearful Americans sold their birthright to the Bush administration, allowing it to create a security state that restricted their freedom and create a network of torture centers whose existence comprehensively destroyed America's claim to be the defender of human rights. And they also turned a blind eye to going to war in Iraq. Whatever it takes to make all the fear go away. Today, when I look at the two countries of which I am a citizen, the United States and the United Kingdom, it seems that for many of my fellow citizens, the spirit of Esau has come to dominate their lives. They want something ravenously. They will sell their birthright, democratic norms and enlightenment rationalism, to have it. They want to return to a time when people like them, their color, their worldview, America's number one, Britannia rules the waves, were the majority. They are hungry for vengeance and want to punish those who don't agree with them. For many Americans, that means not just voting for Donald Trump, but believing the lie that he won the election. For many Brits, that means Brexit. The fact that this golden age is a delusion of memory is not important. Irrationally believing it did exist acting on it by electing a wholly inappropriate person as president, or voting to leave the EU, despite the obvious drawbacks, all of which were pointed out and which are coming to pass, was an expression of making frustrations go away. What will it cost? Donald Trump and Nigel Farage, Boris Johnson, could not have been more clear. Your democratic birthright. For others, in a different part of the political and demographic spectrum, it is selling the birthright of enlightenment rationalism. All problems become binary, except the problem of sexual identity, which is non-binary. Tolerance, one of the first gifts of enlightenment thinking. Tolerance for other points of view, religions, belief systems. Tolerance, a concept that grew out of rational thinking about how to stop the insanity of burning down a continent in the name of religion, is not on display much in the public forums of social media. 
the birthright of free, rational thought has been sold for the instant gratification of ideologically correct thought in social media. But for those who tweet their rage and express utterly irrational thoughts, such as biological sex is a construct of the existing power system rather than genetics, it makes the ravenous hunger go away. Benedict Spinoza, who wrote a book, the Tractatus Theological Politicus, with the subtitle, showing that piety and civil peace are not harmed by allowing freedom of thought, but are destroyed by the abolition of freedom of thought, is, along with other Enlightenment thinkers, simply dismissed as a tool of, take your pick, whiteness, patriarchy, some ill-defined notion of power, but this rationalism, after it was applied to the problem of managing religious difference, then focused on a way of government that wasn't based on birthright, did away with monarchy. And in the U.S., after reasonably explaining to the world why the colonies were dissolving the bonds that tied them to the English king because, in the course of human events, a decent respect for the opinion of mankind demanded such a statement, Thomas Jefferson and his friendly editors told the world the self-evident truth. All men are created equal. But he was a slave-owning white supremacist, says one side. He was a white Christian, says the other. And he was speaking just about us. Actually, Jefferson was not a Christian, as today's religious radicals mean it. And he had a complete set of Spinoza's works on his bookshelf at Monticello. But Americans' birthright is not Jefferson or Washington's flaws. Americans' birthright is democracy, and the good reason to use it wisely, even when faint with hunger, or impatient with the status quo, or frightened of changes to the status quo. In the end, things don't go well for Esau. He not only loses his birthright, but is cheated of his father Isaac's deathbed blessing by younger brother Jacob, and has to beg Isaac for some kind of benediction, and is told, you will serve your younger brother. There is more. As I said, it's a long story. And it doesn't end well in the Bible and later the Talmud for Esau and his descendants. All because he despised his birthright. Keep hold of yours, even in these most troubled times. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. You can hear more, lots more at the website. I say this after every podcast. Please go, listen to some other stuff, and while you're there, make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks. <laughs>